Welcome to another Pro Football Doc podcast. Very timely guest, my good friend, Pro Bowl Center Nick Hardwick. A lot of different things that we'll discuss today. And you know what, Nick? Pleasure to have you on. And I'm actually, forgive me, everyone, that we'll just use this as a little bit of chance to just catch up socially as well. Awesome. (laughs) Good. Welcome to the show. How's life in Indiana? Oh, gosh. Things are great here. Things are good. The kids are happy. It's been an awesome year. Uh, The weather is dog crap. So if you're thinking about relocating from San Diego to Indiana, think twice. The weather is not the best in Indiana. However, the people are great here. The proximity to sports. We live a mile from the largest sports complex in the country. It's 400 acres. The Colts have their training camp there. There's 57 soccer, football, softball, baseball, (laughs) diamonds. I mean, it is like the Mecca of youth sports here. There's tournaments every single weekend. So as far as that goes, it's been pretty awesome. And then I guess writing out COVID in Indiana has uh, had come with some additional freedoms. So we've, we've appreciated our year here for sure. So uh, definitely. And uh, one thing, you know, in terms of uh, sports that you mentioned, and I did see your, uh, oh, first of all, before you get to that, it's 70 degrees indoors, right? So you're fine. You <laughs> so are, we're all good. Right? Yeah. You're, we're all, yes. that's the great equalizer, right? That's right. Um, but I see the Purdue helmet poking through in the background there, the Charger one, and then the Purdue one on there. And that's uh, right. you didn't know this, but uh, irony of all ironies, A, my son, you know, Davis, is yeah. playing flag football league, the Drew Brees FNA. Oh, yeah. His, and his team name is the Boilermakers. Very nice. Is he wearing number 15 or is he wearing number nine or what's what's he got going on? Uh, he's wearing number three. I mean, whatever he's number he's he's got, that's been his lucky little number thing. That's good. Cool. And uh, and uh, last week or the other week, he actually played uh, Drew Brees's second son, Balin's team. No kidding. Uh, and I was like, Drew. Boilermakers, come on, take it easy. <laughs> they were much better. A whole team of fourth graders. Davis is in second grade. We have even some, we have mostly third graders, two second graders, one fourth grader. Drew's team was way better. They, they were, uh, they, the, the, he beat his Boilermakers. And then uh, what was funny though, you'll, you'll laugh at this. Uh, they were way better than we were. They were killing us by halftime. In the second half, we gained some yardage. We were about a yard from the first down, you know, midfield. And they've been playing the zone the whole game. And he started, they're the, they're the LSU Tigers, right? Uh, okay. That's his team. So he says to his coach, hey, should we run Tigers here? And they both start yelling, Tigers, Tigers, Tigers. And I start yelling to my guy on the field, my coach is on the field. They're running a man, man defense. And Drew looks at me. You're still in play, stealing signals. <laughs> like, look, everyone just lined up on the line of scrimmage. You know what you're running. You're just, winning like 38 to, to nothing right now. It's okay. Yeah, yeah we figured uh, that out, Drew. Oh, man, yeah, even is... a doctor can figure that out. It's not, it's not that hard. You've right. got a pretty keen eye. Yeah. Well, let's get to the substance of this here. I wanted to have you on, and thank you for coming on last minute. Since you're in the media, you're a Pro Bowl player, and you were a union rep for the San Diego Chargers, Mm -hmm. can you help make some heads or tails over this continuing controversy of OTAs? And maybe we'll even get into the COVID controversy, too. Give me your take 
on this OTA controversy? Yeah, first off, anytime the union is involved, it's because they're always playing the antagonist to the National Football League. So whatever the NFL wants to get done, naturally the union pushes back on. Whether it's good for the players or not, they just there's always this feeling from the union towards the NFL that they are working against the players' best interests, which I found through my time was not the case at all. That when the NFL was putting through policies in general, they were looking to make the league more money, which then has this great trickle-down effect to the coaches and the players and everybody involved, that we all get to make more money when the league makes more money. There are some issues that come up when it comes to rights and benefits and not being worked too hard. But I, I do feel like there's a fine line between protecting your players giving them the benefits that they deserve for being in the national football league and then working against the players. And I think this happens to be one of those cases where arguing for less time in the facility, less time with the strength coaches, less time with the position coaches, reduced OTA staying out of the building until it's absolutely mandatory. In my opinion, I thought when we redid the CBA in 2010, 2011, we were acting in our best interest when we cut the offseason program from 14 weeks down to nine. And everybody said, okay, we could use a little bit more time off. Well, what happened was, and this always seems to work this way with the NFL, they're smarter than the union because they get to write the rules essentially. Yes, we have to agree to them, but they can manipulate them and they can bend them however they want. So we go from 14 weeks down to nine. Well, what that ends up doing to us as players is it gives everybody around the league a real rigid schedule that we have to work from saying you can only do this much with a player this week you can only in phase one in phase two you get this much time and this much individual meeting this much on the field work well what it really ended up doing was keeping us out of the facility and not allowing the strength coaches to work with us in the offseason for an unabated amount of time and that to me is really detrimental long-term in a player's career because what are you trying to do in the offseason? You're trying to repair, but you're trying to work on your weaknesses, get bigger, stronger, faster, and make those improvements. Well, when the team's saying you're not going to work with your strength coach, which we think is one of the top 32 in the world, you're going to have to go somewhere else offsite. You're going to work with you know some guy that you found on Instagram or through the internet, and we hope he's qualified. So you stay out of the building and you get to work with your personal trainer. Well, then what happened was when we did get to come back into the building, we had two weeks of exclusive time with the strength and conditioning coach. Two weeks, which meant we got to do basically nothing but work on our balance and flexibility. And they made sure we didn't get hurt in the first two weeks. After that two weeks, it turned over to you have an hour and a half in the weight room between running all of the prehab drills that we would do and then weightlifting so really we got to lift for 30 minutes we got to run for about 20 minutes and then we did some balance drills proprioception type stuff for the other 20 30 minutes so it was really convoluted and then we'd immediately race from the weight room to the meeting room or to the field for walkthroughs and working on drills that we had worked so this move to try to get us limited time in the building 
reducing it by five weeks from 14 to nine ended up really backfiring for us and giving us more time with the people that we didn't really want to see in the off season, which was our position coaches. We didn't really have a whole lot of interest in going through all the individual techniques and installing day one, the most basic run, the most basic pass play as veterans. All we wanted to do was what we did at the beginning of our career was come in, bang weights, spend two or three hours in the weight room, doing our rehab and our prehab and getting bigger, stronger and faster to put yourself in a great position to succeed for the next year because there's always improvements to be made. Well, I kind of see the same thing going on now in using the COVID year as leverage or as an example, like a lot of employees are doing now going, look how much more productive I am. Well, look what the data says. Well, look what, but you're missing a whole lot of it. And, and to me, like the Juwan James tearing his Achilles offsite as the union is urging players to stay off campus and trying to get some sort of leverage with the NFL to renegotiate and, and ultimately like you always got to look big picture with the union and what they're doing. It's they are looking long-term for the collective body to make as much money as they possibly can. So they're urging guys to stay out of the building right now. Well, Juwan James tears his Achilles and Denver cuts him to save themselves 10 million bucks or whatever they're going to save. You have to imagine that's going to be standard protocol for every team that now looks at what the union's trying to do and you got guys that are off-site training they hurt themselves and now you're expecting the team to cover it so that to me doesn't work you know if you're the union you can't have your cake and eat it too and if I'm a player frankly I want to be in the building I want to be with my friends it's not it's funny how the union comes at football all the time they act like it's punishment to be a player in the National Football League. It's like the greatest thing of all time. Like being in the building, working with your friends and lifting weights like for, for an offseason. Oh, my gosh. What if I have to spend five hours at work a day in the offseason? Great. I get to spend time with well, my friends. Like well, it's uh, such uh, a of, joke. Course, of course, the joke has to come up to my mind. The beginning of the pandemic, you probably remember it. Most people do. The the guy that says, uh, given the option of A, quarantine with your wife and kids the whole time, or B, B. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> whatever B. I'll take B. B. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, here, here's the thing. I don't think people understood. You said a lot there. And a the lot, first yeah. thing I would take away is there is not a one-size-fits-all solution. For the rookies... They want to be in there getting indoctrinated in technique and scheme, and they need it. Or guys it. trying to make a team. For a vet like you by 2010, 2011, you're like, I know what I need to do to make this team. I want to work on my body and keep it fresh, et cetera, mm -hmm. and not so much get into all the coaching uh, technique uh, types of things. And like one of the things I've said with the new, well, not so new CBA, shortened practice times, the coaches are going to get in the reps. What's going to hurt is the, the second and third team players aren't going to get their reps. The yeah. starters are going to get their reps. And what have teams started to do? Like two practice field, go, go, go work in this. You know, you're working in two hours, but you're getting four hours worth of work. In, they're you know? always going to work the system. Yes. They're, getting, they're, they're getting the work out of you one way or another. Yeah. And then the second part, I think the controversy that's out there is there's one camp that says, uh, 
tough luck. You get paid all this money. Why don't you just come in? Juwan James, too bad you didn't come in. And obviously the irony was he was in the building and he left because the PA told him that he should. And very unfortunate. But then there's the other camp that says the NFL and the owners, you're crazy. You want these guys working out all the time. How do you not pay them to do so? And then J.C. Treader weighed in here uh, today. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, he ended up saying that, uh, let's see, uh, he ended up saying that uh, being a pro athlete, only nine of the 29 weeks of the offseason are in the voluntary program. So there's always a hole in what's going on, et cetera. But here's the way that I look at all of that. I think this is a problem that wasn't noticed by the union and the league. It's always been this way that if you got hurt working out on your own in those 20 weeks, your contract was in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. But the reality was a team wouldn't do a player dirty like that, right? They'd say, oh, well, okay, you were out monkeying around, maybe your non-football injury oh, you were working out on a field or doing something reasonable, we got your back because they wanted to maintain the locker room. But now that the PA has used it as a sword saying, this is voluntary, I'm staying away, it's a tit-for-tat game. The yeah. owners are coming back saying, well, if you're going to do that, we're going to ding you That's now. True. So the rules have never changed. <laughs> There's just been a, like a gentleman's agreement, like, you know, don't do a guy dirty. That's so terrible. are they doing Juwan James dirty? Maybe, but you got to look at it. George Patton didn't sign Juwan James. The guy's played three games in, in two plus years. And That's right. already got, he's looking to, to improve his team situation. So I, well, I and, see it. And, and yeah, too, part of me, when I look at Juwan James and I look at the injury, if you take that as a special case aside, you're like, well, that really sucks for him. However, he didn't endear himself to the organization last year by choosing to opt out due to COVID. So he gets out of it, out of playing last year and think what you want about that. A lot of people have different angles, but for me, there's a lot of risk involved in professional football and the guys that step out on that field are assuming a lot of risk anyhow. So to go through the season and I don't know what his special circumstances are. I don't know what his family situation is. So it's hard to comment, but from a non-knowing his details of the situation, a guy who opts out for me isn't a guy who will play you in the parking lot for no money. And so how invested is he into the organization? So they were probably looking at that and that may have had them thinking a certain way. And then he goes ahead and gets injured and they go, well, that's it. That's the only, that's the excuse that we need. He's out of here don't want to deal with that. Not sure that he really wanted to play football anyway. And this is just football talk, right? Like this is how a general manager would talk. This is how somebody up in the front office would talk. It's like, well, he doesn't really love it because he didn't play last year. Yeah, we had a bunch of hoops that we had to jump through and there was additional risk that guys had to assume. But if you loved it, you were there. And, 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 and that that is an all-in approach that that's in the league and and. I was actually really surprised, Nick, last year at the numbers of people who opted out. Uh, no, once again, no comment on whether they were right, wrong to do so, that they mm -hmm. had the right to do so. But it was a lot higher than I would have thought it would be because 
the financial deal was also pretty crappy. You didn't yeah. get much money <laughs> yeah, at all. And you told your contract and you told for the most part, a contract that's not guaranteed. And even if it were guaranteed, you're taking money off the back end of what you could do. I was like surprised. Maybe I'm more mercenary. I was surprised the number of guys that, that I was opted too. out. I just, I just feel like the, the philosophy in, in most businesses, football included, is get it while it gets good. Because you never know, right? You never know. And your window, as Norv would always say, as the, the storm was coming, is like, we got a window. We got to get our practice in. You got to get it while you can. And pushing things back a year, just you are still biologically going to age. Yeah. And, and then you run into more risk. And I, I was not a fan of most guys taking off. But again, some guys had special circumstances, sick parents at home, sick wives at home, sick young babies. So there were special circumstances. But some of the guys, I just thought, I don't know if I would have assumed that risk of missing the time, missing the big contract, and then really giving the team a reason to maybe not like me as much as they did before. And that brings up two other issues. Uh, the GM for the Bills said something controversial and then was told to be quiet. <laughs> given two players, the one that's vaccinated is probably the one I'm going to keep, all things being equal. Look, Josh Allen can be not vaccinated. He's going to be fine. Yeah. But if you're number 53 on the team, that's a reality, right? And uh, yeah. And that's another of the owners versus players association league versus PA battle. And uh, I don't know if you saw this one and it makes sense to me, uh, you know, about the COVID vaccines, but uh, Marlon Humphrey time to get the shots fellas, because basically there are what I call the vaccine carrot. If you are vaccinated, you don't need masks. You can meet right. your quarantine periods shorter. All these upside reasons dangling the carrot to yes. get people to get the vaccine. And uh, Marlon Humphrey sees it like he sees it now. You know, the, the owners went on this one too because you cannot force anyone right. to get the vaccine. So with the players and with the staff and coaches, they said, if you don't get the vaccine, you don't get to work with players. Well, are you going to be an athletic trainer or, or a coach and, and not work with players? I mean, it's a right. joke, right? We're not going to cut your salary. You're still with us, but you yes. can't work with players. So basically you're on the way out. And so are they, staff and coaches are all going to get the vaccine. And now players, I think they're going to have a tough choice because it is much more favorable for a team to get it. They get extra privileges. Yeah. Are they going to have to, if you have the vaccine, are they going to have to regularly test like they did last year. Like I talked to Philip Rivers after the season and it was, I think it was 176 straight days that he had to go to the facility, even on the bye week even being, on days off, they had being, to go in and test. Being, it's like, being, being worked out, but less testing if you're vaccinated. That's oh yeah. another part of the vaccine carrot in terms of what's going to happen. And so, I mean, you remember, Nick, back in the day, we used to go through and say, look, everyone should get the flu vaccine. And, you know, a bunch of the guys would be, ah, not for me. I'm fine. I don't get yeah. sick and whatever. And I get it. I mean, kind of thing. But this, and, and I knew there'd be a lot of people that would choose not to get the COVID vaccine and I can understand it. But let me tell you, the, the, the carrot that, that's being dangled is going to make it much more difficult for some players and you know it's not like you're all going to get cut i mean if you're a star player you can do what you want vaccine yeah. or not 
there's going to be a big push to get as many people vaccinated as possible to get the extra privileges and to avoid yeah. the missing of games and the missing of practice time and, and what right. have you. Pro baseball is going through the same thing right now. I mean, look at the Padres have three, four stars that are sitting on the bench. They, they ended up winning the series against St. Louis, sweeping the yes. series, but they had four guys out that I don't know if they had been vaccinated or if they had some contact tracing going on, but they hadn't received the extra benefits from Major League Baseball because they hadn't reached that 85% threshold. And then Jace Tingler, the Padres manager, was talking about trying to find ways to educate their players to get them to buy into the vaccine, meaning, hey, fellas, this helps us win. We're, we're going to have less restrictions. We get more freedoms. We can... Practice. We don't have to worry about losing Fernando Tatis for 10 games while he goes on the IL with Eric Cosmer, Will Myers, and Jerickson Profar. We don't have to do that, guys. It makes it much easier. And, I mean, you think about the Buffalo Bills GM and the comments that he made. It makes their jobs easier because you, yes. you, don't, you don't have to plan for a guy to perhaps be out due to sickness along with every other risk that's associated with football no no question well you mentioned uh rivers he retired uh give us a a a good river story that you haven't told or most people don't know i know there's a ton of them oh my gosh he's so good he's just he's awesome i i catch up with him all the time still and he's really hard at work trying to plan for his high school football season and putting together a game plan and a book and PowerPoint presentations and all these <laughs> things, right? And you know, they're going to be so dialed. And I'm like, this is going to be the most high level offense that a hot, that a high school is run. I'm just wondering, I'm like, I don't know if he thinks that the quarterback has the same brain power that he does, but I hope he doesn't think that. That that's just <laughs> that that's normal. That that's normal. His, his brain power. I mean, it was, incredible and it's it just is incredible like even going back and rehashing games with him years later we're talking 2007 2008 games so we're going way back into the time machine and he's pulling up second and 19 hit chris chambers on an eight or you know he's like busting out the routes and how many yards we got and the exact line that he said to me afterwards it's to me i can remember back and remember feelings of games and kind of have the gist of what goes but if I don't go pull up the game book from the NFL itself and look at play by play I don't really remember the score or the scenarios all that well he has them so dialed in like this throw that call this play that time on the clock I mean his brain power is it's astounding yeah well I mean well, some of you can argue just to remember all those kids' names was is a task. <laughs> <laughs> and a birthday. No, just kidding. Uh, no, no, no. He's he's obviously a very smart guy. But you know, the greats are like that. Uh, basketball yeah. players remember the shot, uh, the, or the defense, mm-hmm. or golfers remember in that U.S. Open in you know 2004 when on the 16th hole when I hit that seven iron, you know, yeah. 210 yards over the tree. Right? I mean, it's that, yep. that's what they uh, they do. Uh, Kind of that's thing. why that's why it wasn't one of the great stock. I couldn't remember all that. Oh, well, <laughs> wouldn't tell yourself short there. So tell us uh, what you're doing now. I mean, obviously, everyone knows um, what uh, you're you're uh, 
let's see. I want to pull up some of this stuff here. Where do I find it? Go to hardwick.life is my website. So yeah. it's like hard, hardwick.com. Hardwick.life here. Hardwick.life. And so basically we run a health and wellness company and my wife and I have started two weight loss programs. One was the exact program that I used to get 85 pounds off in five months after my Pictured, retirement. Picture it here for, for people, right? You there know. it is. Yeah. 85 pounds in five months. And it's called the Lose Like Alignment program. And now we've got hundreds, hundreds of men in this program that are having crazy amounts of success. So it was just something for me that at the start of COVID, I felt compelled to get it off of my chest and get it into a Google doc at least because everyone, I, I have so many DMs and emails and, Hey, how'd you lose the weight? What are some tips? And I would just basically write people one-off weight loss programs and tell them exactly what I did. And so then I ended up going to I got it in a Google doc. It's like 150 pages had a guy write me and he's like, Hey, can I get the program that uh, you lost all the weight on? I said, Hey, take this, do me a favor, check back every month with me and let me know how you're doing. And I said, keep good notes, take before and after pictures. One guy, his name's John Zinser. He was a 53 year old, 6'3", 325, former lineman at university of Pennsylvania. And after the first month he gets back to me and he lost 30 pounds. Wow. And I was like, dang, all right, cool. And he gave me fully detailed notes. And so that gave me confidence to reach out to more people on Instagram and say, hey, does anybody else want to try? I had five people that put their hands up and I put them in a group and we started meeting on Sundays and having a conversation on Zoom and just holding each other accountable, sharing ideas. And I really wanted the feedback from them. I wanted to know what was easy information to get and what was hard. And so I could then continue to streamline my process. And then I ended up turning it based on their results into an ebook, which it's now five ebooks, basically, it's a whole program with a nutrition, daily nutritional guidance, uh, exercise program, which is by the way, the least important part of losing weight, uh, daily activity reminders and habits. And we have a program and now we got a Facebook group with tons of people in it, sharing ideas and recipes and success and all this. So that turned into a real business, which is, I never really intended it to. And then I had a bunch of people asking about the women. And so Jamie and I worked and we formulated it into lose like a lady, which has now taken off on its own path and been super awesome. So those girls are having a lot of success and that's basically what we're doing is running a health and wellness company. I got the podcast, The Hardwick Life, and talk with scientists, thought leaders, uh, Jamie, uh, our performance nutritionist, the director of nutrition at Hardwick Life. He was the uh, performance dietitian for UCLA basketball. His name's Casey Thomas. So we have him on a lot, and it's it's been a ton of fun grow, growing a business, you know. So if anybody out there, by the way, Doc, is interested in getting on the program or joining the program, use, because you're my friend and family, uh, use the code HardwickFF25 for 25% off of anything on our website. So men, women, right. supplements, whatever. We'll pass that on. When, when the podcast comes out officially, I'll, I will tweet that out. It'll pass that on to some people. Cool. That'll, that'll thank be you. Cool. Yeah, thank and you for that. And, and I know you have to run and we actually did two, the, the second part of the podcast, you don't have time, but you, I'd love you to, if you wanted, as I go through some other things, you probably got too many things to do, but answer this question for me as a tease. 
we'll talk about a bunch of things in the in the second segment, including uh, the schedule release and everything like that. But what was the first thing you looked at when you got the schedule? I wanted to know where the big players were. I wanted to know how much where they were in the calendar and not the teams necessarily, but yeah, Who the, the, teams. the nose tackle. <laughs> I wanted to know, <laughs> I wanted to know where the bad dudes were. I wanted to know where Chris Jenkins and Sean Rogers and Vince Wilfork and Richard Seymour. I wanted to know where those guys were because I wanted to really work in reverse and say, okay, I need to work on this. I got to get this down. This lift has to be so much you know, and it really put those milestones in my head and created a sense of urgency for the off season to get a ton of work done. Gotcha. Well, we'll go over that. And I promise you, like, and I'm glad you said what you said, but players, coaches, team doctors, and wives all look at different things. And yes, agents, you know, <laughs> everyone goes to their go-to and we'll cover that next at Pro Football Doc Podcast here. But thank you for the time and enjoy the beautiful 70 degree weather in <laughs> Indiana. Hey, thank you, Doc. Appreciate you having me. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. We'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back for the second part of Pro Football Doc Podcast. All right. Welcome back to part two of the Pro Football Doc podcast. It was great to have Nick on. Look, he was pretty honest, right? He was pretty honest about what was uh, happening there uh, with the owners versus players, et cetera. Uh, but uh, here we go. Let's uh, talk about the schedule as we teased and promised, the schedule release and uh, that happened this last week. Uh, they open up, interestingly enough, with nine games at the 1 p.m. Eastern time time slot. You know, you people who have followed have known I've been saying that for a long time. If you're going to have nine games, you need a nine box. All there is on DirecTV is an eight box. We've got a solution for that at Pro Football Doc, but that's a whole nother uh, story. But uh, just to answer that, uh, Ross Tucker helped me out here, uh, and uh, he knew why, but uh, he, at least for me, asked, you know, the, the boss, uh, Michael North, who helps set the schedules. And he said, basically, the early set of games are regional in interest. And they want people to come back together in the second set of games, the 4 p.m. Eastern time slot. So they set that 4.30 game with more national interest. That's good. But I still think, you know, nine games at 1 p.m. Eastern and four games at you know, at, at 4 p.m. Eastern doesn't make sense because what brings us back together is really the uh, Sunday night football game. That's the national interest game bringing us back together. And maybe when we used to not have Sunday night football, that would be a different story. So I still lobby for an even split, six and five, five and five, something makes our life easier, more, and there's enough good football to watch uh, and, uh, you know, so what you don't want is one quote target game nationally, that's a blowout. And the other two games aren't that exciting when you only have sometimes three games, but let's go through a little bit of what we were talking about with Nick in terms of, uh, what, when, when the schedules released, what people look at, right. They look at different things. Uh, one thing that always happens is 
the travel distance disadvantage and how far you travel and this, that, the other. Look, we know the California teams always have to travel further. Usually it's the Seattle Seahawks that travel the furthest, but San Francisco or the LA teams are the ones that travel the furthest. Because if you just look at even in the division, let's say for the AFC West, I mean, AFC West, you have the Chargers, the Raiders in Las Vegas, then the Denver Broncos and the Chiefs. Well, there's more mileage between the Chargers and the Chiefs than all the teams in the AFC North combined, right? I mean, they're all right there between the Ravens and the Steelers and the Bengals and the Browns all in the Northeast. Um, and so there's always going to be a disadvantage. And you know what division you're playing, et cetera. So uh, the travel isn't so much. But here's what I always found. Nick gave an interesting thing. Players, in my experience, the first thing they looked at was the buy. Uh, and then maybe the big game and the TV games. Nick had an interesting perspective, right? He was looking at who's the beast nose tackle that he's got to go up against and which weeks are those. And he looks at it a little bit like a player or like a coach does. Coaches look at the big divisional games because what everyone says is you got to win your division. That's how you make the playoffs, winning your division. So the division games are, I think, in general, what coaches look at first before overall scheduling. Doctors, let me tell you what I looked at. I looked at midweek games, whether it was a Thursday game or three-day travel games, because I had my own practice Monday through Friday. So a Monday night game upsets that. A uh, East Coast Sunday game upsets that because we would leave by noon on, fri on Friday. So I would immediately go through and, okay, what are the dates that I have to block out of my schedule from surgeries or clinics? Friday leaving early, or that Thursday night game, Monday game, especially if it's travel for a Monday or Thursday game. That's what I looked at. So everyone looks at their own things. And, and uh, uh, the wives, girlfriends, they would always look at the holidays. Uh, are they around? Are they playing the Thanksgiving game? What's happening at Christmas? you know, different birthdays for family members. That's what they would look at. Where, what do they have to reschedule in terms of what's going on? But uh, the schedule release is always an interesting thing. Now, it used to be, I mean, everyone, there's all this excitement about the schedule release, but you all know that all the teams are already determined. All the opponents are already determined. It's just the order and the date that they're played that is determined on schedule release. It used to be two games formed strength of schedule when it was 16 games, right? You had, you played each team in your division twice. So that's six games, three teams, other teams in your division, that's six. You would play uh, the, uh, everyone in the AFC, in, in the AFC division on a rotating basis. So that's four more games. And then you'd play everyone in an NFC division um, on a rotating basis. That's another four games. That gives you 14. And then two strength of schedule games. If you finish third in the AFC West, you would play the third place AFC North team or the third place AFC South team in the divisions that you weren't matched up. So really only two strength of schedule games that change year to year. Now with 17 games, it's three strength of schedule games on a rotating basis, an NFC division 
you know, either first, second, third, or fourth place team. Very uh, symmetrical right now, which is what makes expansion a little bit hard right now to get to different numbers because everything is so symmetrical. Um, and uh, when you, sorry guys, I'm trying to get some. So one thing the NFL didn't think about is that, and pro football talk points it out here, uh, having by stretch into week 14 with 17 weeks could have quite an influence on fantasy football playoffs. The fantasy football playoffs still start week 14. When you're drafting, you better look at that week 14 to make sure that you have enough bodies uh, to get through that playoff game. Look, everyone looks at buys for fantasy. I was lucky enough to play in the Scott Fishbowl this last year. Hopefully I get the invite again, Scott, if you're watching. Um, anyways, uh, was lucky enough to do fairly well, but definitely looking at buys is important. But when I drafted last year, I knew I had an inordinate amount of Kansas City Chiefs, and I forget the week. Uh, you know, obviously uh, Patrick Mahomes and uh, uh, did me very, very well, as well as some of the other Chiefs players. But I knew that uh, uh, Mahomes' uh, stack with his number one wide receiver was going to cost me when they had a buy. And it did. We actually had a lot of other players on a buy, but that's just one regular season loss. When that happens to you in week 14, that would be huge. So that's something to uh, keep an eye on, uh, et cetera. All right, let's move on to our rundown here. And with our rundown of players, uh, Caleb Farley, uh, dying to get back on the football field, rehabbing my butt off. He's the player with two uh, spine surgeries, including one recently. Look, the Titans know what they're doing. They know he's injured right now. They took a bargain player, a guy that would have been a top 10 pick and picked him in later part of the first round. They did it with Jeffrey Simmons coming off an ACL tear and it's worked out for him. So the worry for Caleb Farley, I don't think is not going to be this season. The worry is beyond the rookie contract, how long he lasts. And, uh, you know, not a surprise there that he wasn't ready to really go yet. And uh, let's go continue through our rundown here. Um, next up, Tom Brady expected to begin throwing this next week. Uh, he admitted to having a significant knee surgery. We still don't know what it was. It's not a ligament reconstruction, but it may indeed have been a microfracture surgery, hopefully a small area. Given that he's a pocket guy, yes, he runs quarterback sneaks, but he's not mobile. I don't think this is going to affect him that much, but he admitted to having a pretty serious knee injury and uh, the, a long recovery after his surgery, but I don't think it's going to affect him too much. Uh, Dak Prescott in the news again. Last week, we talked about him when Dak said he could play in a game today. And I said, well, he might be able to play, but nowhere near 100%. And Mike McCarthy now says, uh, you know, he hopes or expects him to be cleared in time for training camp. And that's a reasonable expectation and timeline. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Dak Prescott is not 100% today, but he's scheduled to get there, hopefully by the start of training camp. And certainly by the time the season is here, he's not going to miss any time with the uh, Cowboys there. Uh, Julian Edelman admitted to a PCL tear. 
and bone on bone in an interview with Pat McAfee. And that's what prolonged his absence last year and quite honestly ended his career. And he's bone on bone. He's not going to sign with Tampa. It just is what it is uh, as we uh, move forward here. Uh, in terms of Julian Edelman, great career. Whether he's a hall, whether he's a Hall of Famer or not, uh, that's not my decision. I think he's a great player, but I think his New England legacy is set. Uh, he will forever be loved in New England, and uh, that is good on him. That he will forever be loved in uh, New England. Um, drug testing, different sport. Uh, something came up here. Um, uh, the Kentucky Derby winner tested positive uh, and uh, Medina Spirit obviously lost in the Preakness, but really uh, a groom taking cough medicine peed on the hay and Medina Spirit stall and then Medina Spirit ate it and now tested positive for bexamethasone. A couple of things with that. I'm not a horse racing expert, but I don't think bexamethasone is, whether it helps the horse or not, it's not really in cough syrup, over-the-counter cough syrup. The other thing is, I don't know, does a horse eat hay that's been peed on? I mean, and finally, the barns that I've been in, and I haven't been a lot, but I've been lucky enough to have gone to the Derby and even checked out the stables. The hay is hanging, right? It's not thrown loosely on the ground. It's fed to the horse hanging. That's ergonomically better and easier for the horse. So I don't know how that hay got peed on in any case, but uh, I just thought that was an interesting excuse. To me, it's a worse excuse than, than uh, Brian Cushing's overtraining syndrome caused a positive test from a few years ago. Uh, but uh, anyways, let's move on here. We're going to cover some other sports here and then do our video like we usually do here. Uh, Ronald Acuna uh, with a ankle injury. Here's the video but uh, of his ankle injury. He doesn't jam it on the base. It's the right ankle that goes against the base. And the next step after is where he jams his ankle. More of a contusion bone bruise. That's why he's gonna miss a short period of time. He's missed a few days, but should not be serious, which is good. I think they show the replay here again in one second. I hope they do. I thought they did. Maybe it was a different angle. But you'll see here, the right foot hits the bag, and it's the first step after that he starts to limp on that. From, from the back. All right. And then uh, let's go to some of our What Happened Here uh, video, show you two videos, two collision videos. And uh, first one, uh, some expected good news from this scary collision between uh, – Jose Abreu and Hunter Dozier. In real time, we wrote it out, kicked it. They both will be okay in the big picture. So here's the collision. Inadvertent. Watch out. What the heck? You didn't see that coming. Neither saw the other. Ooh, Rondon man. made the catch, but 
and here's another angle of it here. Let's get to this one. Tough collision. They both left, left the first end of the double header. And uh, believe it or not, Abreu wanted to try and play the second part of the double header. He's back after his collision. Uh, Hunter Dozier is still out. Dozier had a quad contusion, neck discomfort, and on the concussion list. Abreu, in the meantime, a laceration and uh, uh, facial contusion, laceration, bruised left knee, but he's returned back to normal. So that was good results from a football-type collision injury. And let's end here on another football-type collision injury. Almost painful to see. It hurts me to see this. Uh, before I even show you this video, it's a uh, recently we talked about on the Mother's Day podcast with my wife, whether I let my eight-year-old son play football or not. I don't have to worry about that right now. Um, he's uh, doing well in baseball. He made a, an all-star team that uh, um, I'm going to help coach and I'm, we're thrilled for him. I'm not sure he likes the, will like the contact of football. He's played some flag football now, but you know, I think football is a good sport. And I think football is the one sport where team sport, where everyone makes the team. I mean, track and field, the track and, and cross country, everyone makes a team, but it's not the same feeling. Every other sport now you have to be year round travel ball just to make, et cetera. And, uh, so there's an upside to football, but this does kind of bother me a little bit, this collision that happens among these little kids here. So avert your eyes. But one more time here. Look. I don't know. I, I don't, I just don't love that for a lot of reasons. Number one, don't lower your head ever at any level. Number two, uh, these are little kids. You want them to enjoy the sport is the one that got tracked, not going to ever play again. And I don't know. I don't know who, uh, what the real story was behind it and who was commenting, but I mean, I don't know. That's not exactly a ooh, big hit reaction. It should be, is the kid okay? Oh no. Right. I mean, never lower your head. Don't use the helmet as a weapon. Let's make football a safe sport there. Uh, I hope the kid's okay. I have no idea who the kid is uh, kind of thing. And look, I mean, it's possible that the kid that knocked him on the back could get injured too uh, by having, lowering his head with a neck injury or something. Let's keep the game safe and clean. And uh, there's no reason to, to need to have that and uh have let let's this way we can maybe all enjoy football a little bit and look i'm not against tackle football at younger ages but not when you're doing that i mean look we talked earlier at the podcast my son's a second grader and he's playing up in a league with third and fourth graders i think for flag football it is what it is kind of thing but if it were competitive tackle football there's no way you've got to have the same size guys same development guys on the field if you're going to try and play it uh, otherwise, uh, you know, let's in medicine, we say first do no harm. So sorry for the editorial, but 
not loving that video and felt like I had to highlight that some. Anyways, thanks again to Nick Hardwick and uh, use that free code again. We'll repeat it for you on the screen here uh, to join his uh, Lose Like a Lineman program. And heck, maybe I should sign up now post-COVID, et cetera, even though I wasn't a lineman. Anyways, thanks for uh, watching and listening. Pro Football Doc Podcast, thank you for the five-star reviews. And we'll see you again next week.